0: And welcome to a Merry Christmas edition of Talking Dirty, overlapping, I suppose, with our latest in a series focusing on the wonders at East Ruston Old Vicarage on the East UK coast month by month. And uh, we've had October and November, obviously, over at East Ruston Old Vicarage. Alan Gray had to share the wonders, the splendors of December in his garden. Though before we get stuck into that, I should apologise if things look a bit different, if they sound a bit different yet again. It seems that every time Alan and I sit down to record one of these, one of us has some kind of issue. So to My laptop won't work this time. Yeah, last time it was Alan. So uh, we're on my phone. I don't know how to use the app. So let's just hope it records. That's that's really it. We're just going to talk plants and hope for the best. But anyway, how how the devil are you, you handsome fellow?
1: (laughs) I'm absolutely fine. How are you over there? You're looking very Christmassy in Cambridgeshire, I have to say. But it's not it's not a um a bright bright bling Christmas because your tree I'm sure there's plenty of bling on there. But your tree actually melts into the background rather well, and it's it's quite subtle. It all it it complements your jumper with those lovely sort of pinks and reds and things. It's very Christmassy, very seasonal.
0: Subtle is not a word often associated with me. I think probably it's because everything is so technicolor, it all merges into one rainbow effect. But this, this, is, uh, right. tree. this tree took us hours to decorate. We're those people who get really into it. Christmas music on, baby in, you know, asleep in the evening. We spent hours meticulously moving decorations around. So uh, who knows what will happen when the child starts decorating the tree. But currently, <laughs> uh, it's, it's Peter and I, and we thoroughly enjoyed it. So we're getting fully into festive spirits. And I suppose um, in your garden, you've had uh, something to help
1: you look festive, if not feel festive, and that is a touch of frost. We have. And this is the most unusual, you see, because for so many years, we haven't had any frost until either just before or just after Christmas. And this year, Dame Nature, as, as usual, she had a trick up her sleeve and we just have to suffer it, for goodness sake. It's no good getting upset by all these things. But, you know, it is it was rather disparaging when suddenly, you know, you suddenly have minus three and minus three degrees in this garden is virtually unheard of. But, you know, that is the climate that we live with today. It's completely unpredictable. Um, And, you know, what can you do? I I asked myself, what can you do? And I asked myself, what is hardiness? Two questions. One, you can do nothing about it. You can do your best, but you can't really do anything about it. And two is hardiness out the window. You know, it, it just doesn't, it, just, it, it doesn't compute anymore. It's absolutely ridiculous. So we just go ahead and we do what we usually do here. If we're planting, um, using plants that are fairly half-hardy, we put them in as sheltered a position as we possibly can. And I always think that people probably neglect the bottoms of hedges because bottoms of hedges, especially on the south-facing slope, are very, very um, good places for half-hardy plants. When we first came to East Ruston 50 years ago, and we were walking around the lanes here. And outside a cottage, I don't know whether I've told you this tale before, but outside a cottage was this bank, south-facing bank. And it was just covered with these white daisies, huge white daisies. And I thought, what on earth are they? And I looked at that, and it was a plant called Amorphotheca in those days, which is now Osteospermum. And it had these shoots and it had little... Um, adventitious roots all the way along the chute. So it creeps. It's a South African daisy. It creeps and it roots as it goes. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Anyway, this dear little old lady was, saw me sort of poking about outside her hedge and she said, oh, good morning, can I help you or something like this? And I said, this daisy is absolutely wonderful. And she said, oh, it just grows everywhere. I mean, take some, have some. So she gave me a handful of these little bits and we've had it ever since. But that was a lesson in, in, you know, hardiness, if you like. This half-hardy plant underneath the shelter Of a hedge which is like a rain shadow it was growing beautifully and it was loving it and this probably was maybe late march beginning of april something like that so it's just emerging from its winter rest and it was flowering and you know that's what we have to do today if we're going to grow half-hardies you grow them against a fence a hedge a wall a sheltered nook a corner don't forget though underneath trees is quite a sheltered place as well i mean we've got some oats and uh, you know, a little secret garden. And I get very cross because I put seats in the secret garden in the summer because it's a lovely shady nook. But the pigeons go and sit on the branches and poo on the pla- on the seats. <laughs> so there's this constant battle. You know, people don't want to sit on a, per- a seat covered with bird mess. So uh, anyway, there we are. But it's a lovely sheltered place. Um, and that's I use that underneath those uh, spreading branches there's a home oak there as well which is evergreen underneath those spreading branches i use that as a step from the greenhouse to to taking plants out of the greenhouse and hardening them up under there because it gives it a little bit of night shelter when the temperatures are out to drop but yes it's it is that it's that winter thing and i've got i've got a little box of goodies here so shall we start shall we start talking about those and we'll see where the laptop and the phone takes us (laughs)
0: Well, we will. I I really had to stop and sort of think twice when you said it it hit minus three in your garden, because, of course, in the very depths of the cold winter last year, you only hit minus four. And I'm fairly confident that when we had that really cold night uh, here in Cambridge, it was minus four. And normally we're much colder than you. But of course, the cold front did seem to come along the east. So I, I think you were actually... You know, battling us, but who would be colder for once? Which is very <laughs> well, yeah.
1: But, but Graham always says uh, the worst cold nights for us are, are the, is when the low pressure is leaving, and it drags all that cold air up from Cambridge across us. <laughs> <laughs> so, all I'm going to say, thought, is Maria, so she'll be a fruit. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> and it doesn't happen when, you know, when 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 the thing goes easterly, the front goes easterly. Yeah. yeah, I was sort of poking about in the garden yesterday, actually, and I found a few little treasures, um, which I always do. But um, one is a common old thing, really. And I don't know whether you remember that Martin Davy always has a love of viburnum tinus. Yes. Well, it's a form of viburnum tinus, and I don't know whether you can see that. But in actual fact, there's an awful lot of pink in there.
0: Yes, beautiful. Uh, Martin Davey, former head of horticulture at Eastern and Otley College. So that was sort of the East Anglian place you'd go to 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 learn horticulture. Loved by Vernon. We always would sort of, you in particular, mock him for being such a fan of a, a ubiquitous municipal plant, I suppose.
1: Well, I suppose that's what it is, and it. But if you analyse the plant itself, it's a pretty dull-looking plant. The leaves are not very bright; they're not shiny; they're not cheerful in any way. But this to flower at this time of the year, and it will go right the way through until early spring. I think is lovely. I remember when we when we were children, we used to have um, on, on Mothering Sunday. We used to pick. I mean, you you can't do it today; it's not le- not legal today. But we used to pick bunches of primroses and all sorts of things, anything we could get hold of, um and in the house next door to us, they had to buy a buy and Tynus, and we always picked, you know, three sprigs of this each, and you used to take your bunch and take it to the church, and you had a Mothering Sunday service, and this flowers got distributed to the various mothers. I don't know what mine did with hers, but something, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> you know, suddenly the garden here is bereft of leaves, and I think that's what that frost does, because we have... We have. I have a barometer. Well, two barometers, actually, in actual fact. And the barometers are white mulberries. And they're the mulberries that you fed the leaves to silkworms rather than the black mulberry, which is the mulberry you eat. By the way, if you put a a black mulberry in your garden, do beware because they drop their fruits. And if you sit down on the grass and you sit on these fruits, they stain your clothes horribly. And it can be very embarrassing if you're wearing cream. However... (laughs) My white mulberries, there are, I know when we've had a a very cold night because they hang onto their leaves. They go, as somebody once said, a rich butter yellow, um, lovely, these lovely yellow leaves. And overnight, a sharp frost, they all drop. Well, 95% of them drop. Um, And it is, it's quite alarming because you were in the garden yesterday and the leaves were on the trees. And the next morning you walk out and the leaves are on the ground and the trees are bare. And it changes completely because there's suddenly there's light. Mm. There would have been shade and you've got this golden carpet. Until, of course, they, they start to look disgusting and sleaze creeps in. So, we've <laughs> had. To, I mean, talking of sleaze, we've had to, um, outside my dining room window, which is totally impractical, but it's there anyway, we have a clump of the false banana Musabazdu. And that normally on the south side of the house remains looking fresh until into the new year. But of course, with that frost, all of these huge, great paddle-shaped leaves—they blacken. Leaves they mm. couldn't have it; couldn't put up with it. <laughs> so dear Bridget went up, and she locked them all up the other day. So thank goodness for that. So you know, it's constant tidy, tidy, tidy. Um, anyway, and making... you
0: mentioned the light—you know—suddenly coming down. Yeah. I mean, at least the good news is that light is there to help bring all of the next treasures on.
1: Yes, exactly that was tree fellers came in a month ago, I suppose. and we topped some eucalyptus. Um, we've done it before to them and they'd grown probably 25 feet. And of course we did we, I've learned my lesson, I say, because we should chop them back on a biennial basis perhaps or triennial basis, once every two or three years maybe, um, when whilst they're manageable to keep chopped back. And once they get too big, you have to get somebody in to do it. And it costs a lot of money. I mean, and all those eucalyptus that I said that we topped and we, I mean, the, all those branches get chopped up. And the, and if they're too big, the logs, they're split and they're still, we store them for three years. So they're entirely dry. We've got this cycle going on and there's wood piles in certain areas of the garden. You've seen them. And um, I tell you what's fascinating about wood piles We have the remains of an original wood pile that I left near the entrance gate, which is in in shade. It's quite open shade, it's tall trees, um, so it's not very dark, but it's it's nevertheless in shade. And what fascinates me about this log pile is that it's changed over the years. A, as the logs have rotted, it's shrunk, and it's home to all manner of little invertebrates and mice and bolls and that kind of thing, and, and lovely insects as well. And the logs gradually they deteriorate, but then mosses start growing on them, and you get mosses and lichens or lichens, however you want to say it, and you get other plants that seed themselves in. And we've got Japanese anemones. There's um, a very dark Japanese anemone there that that and and with this moss, it's like a little enchanted garden of its own, if you know what I mean. Primroses and violets and foxgloves and. All those things will seed in and it's just a lovely thing to do. So if somebody wants a project and it's a lovely thing for a child to do, because you, if you've got a shady area, I mean, I know what I was like when I was a child and I used to love this sort of thing of being given my own spot that other people didn't go to. So if you've got a little nook in your garden, you can give to a child or a grandchild. I think it's absolutely lovely. And you can talk about, you know, nature and the way things happen um, and, you know, make sure that they look after it. It is a lovely thing for a child to be fascinated with. I know because I always was. Anyway, <laughs> Back to my little box of goodies. This morning we went out and we picked these. And they
0: oh.
1: are, you see their snowdrops. And that's Galanthus Santa Claus. Oh,
0: and
1: It's obviously out in time for Christmas. Uh, He's
0: arrived early in your garden.
1: Yes. It is very, <laughs> early, early. Um, but they're lovely. No scent. At least I can't detect it anyway. Uh, <laughs> so,
0: I mean, this is a Christmas tree in itself, show and tell, from Alan at East Ruston.
1: It, well, yes, it is, but you know, we <laughs> still have some of these blooming. Now these are in oh. pot in a cold greenhouse. And of course these are Noreens or noreinis, or say it how you will. But this is Noreen. Um Mrs. F- Miss Frances Clark. And these these ones are not quite hardy, but they're they're hardy enough to grow under cold glass. And the one thing about nerines is that quite often they'll have a crystalline um stripe on the on the petal. So that's a pale, pale pink one. But just look how those, those anthers come up and they sort of curl up. They look like a blast from a horn. If you could if you could draw a blast, you know, you blow a, a a horn and whoop, and that whoosh, comes yeah. out.
0: And also, we recorded a video a long time ago, years ago, um, back when this video was more tutorials and plant profile. This this channel was more uh, tutorials and plant profiles, and we called it Floral Fireworks because, of course, they're yeah. flowering at that fifth uh, of November sort of time of year, and they are. They're, they're they are triumphant. They're sort of they do look like a blast from a horn or a firework yeah, or something exactly. celebratory. Exactly.
1: And I was going through the greenhouse where these are the other day. And I mean, they're growing together with pelargoniums, no heat at all. Um, And the thing about them is that if you keep them dry at the root, I mean, I told you we've had minus three, so you know what kind of temperatures we've had. And incidentally, the top lights on that greenhouse are, are still open, so they get the ventilation but there's pelargoniums in there and um, very very dry at the root but they're showing no signs of distress from the low temperatures i mean they're they're in dormancy at the moment so but anyway this is another one here i'll tell you the name of this in a minute but i mean you know there is a lovely selection of these to be had and if you want to if anybody's watching this and they'd like to acquire a few nerines, the person to get in contact with is mr ed brown of cotswold garden flowers because ed and his father Um, Bob, they have the national collection of nerines, and he has the most wonderful selection of bulbs. Now, when you buy a bulb from Bob or Ed, it's probably going to be about £8.50 per bulb. And there's a reason for that. That's quite expensive. But there's a reason for that, and that is because they are quite slow to increase. But once you buy a single bulb and you keep it and you grow it, find that next year you've probably got three in that pot and the year after that there'll be five or six um and so that you know it will gradually it will it will pay for itself that initial outlay might seem rather hard but you know the time will come when instead of just getting one flower in a pot you'll get eight and so you have a lovely pan of flowers um which you can grow in a cold greenhouse without heat so it's inexpensive except for the fact you've got to have a cold greenhouse but yeah. yeah We've got a cold greenhouse. Talking no. of
0: uses for unheated greenhouses, I saw a post from Steve Edney of the No Name Nursery the other day, where he and Lou they they dig up their dahlias and they store them and they they pop them up and they label them and they do all of that at this end rather than you know storing them upside down or whatever on a rack which just because of the the amount of work that will be coming up when, when dailies are coming into growth, they've just potted them up now. They've got them in an unheated greenhouse, all lined up and labelled. If it gets really cold, they said they're going to cover them with some hessian. But yeah. I thought, you know, for busy gardeners, that uh, was a quite a, a, a good tip, really, that you could do it that way and get the lion's share of the work out of the way at this end of the season or this end but of the makes, sort of gardening yes, it year. it makes
1: sense. I mean, when, you know, it gives you a break from raking leaves up, doesn't it? <laughs> Or whatever else you do, pruning, of course. I mean that's another thing. But um, I think that um, it's a very good thing to do that with dahlias. The other thing that we do is we we always save our old potting compost. So when we're repotting, we have a, 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 a like a plastic pot, big big thing, you know, that you carry around, weeds in it and things like that. But I, I, all the old potting compost goes in there, and I keep it, and I use that to cover. Put dahlias in a box or a crate, and I use that to cover them with for the winter and it's it's a race between sort of them rotting and not rotting really um if you're keeping too wet there's every danger that they might rot um, and that's why when you dig a dahlia up a dahlia tuber up or the hope you know the clump you've probably got about that much stem left on the dahlia it's wise if you can to turn it upside down and leave it somewhere for about a week so that the moisture can drain out of those tops of those um, old stems, because if they sit there, if the moisture sits there, it could cause rotting. And you know, when you dig your dahlias up, there, there's going to be some soil on them. In those, in that soil, there could be some slugs. You you know, you can't go through and sort, of sort everything. But you know, if you if you let if you leave those moist stem ends on the top of the dahlia if they're very moist the slugs will go to it and they'll start nibbling into the dahlias and then the dahlia tuber will probably get nibbled and that mm. in will go the water and there's your rot starting so it's yeah. it's important thing to try and do try and keep them as dry as possible yeah. now what else have i got i don't know excuse me why this is rather ungainly
0: <laughs> i'm quite excited about this one i knew there was an ungainly quite special plant coming up
1: well yes um this is uh, uh, I don't know whether, oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes. That is the most fabulous leaf. It's an arum. It's not quite hardy. Um, this was given to me by Lionel Ponder, a great friend of me and the garden here. We exchange plants on a regular, almost a weekly basis, I have to say. Um, and Lionel, unfortunately, had his greenhouse. He keeps it heated over the winter, but it it was um, his heater broken on that very cold night last year oh, and he lost yes. all his pelagoniums. But fortunately for him, I was able to replenish his pelargoniums. Ooh, that's not a slug, it's just a piece of mud. <laughs> but that harem was called Primrose Warburg. Uh, Primrose Warburg was a plants woman, and she's probably most famous for her snowdrop, called Primrose Warburg, which was named after her death. Um, and I think it was her, uh, John Grimshaw who's another famous galanthophile, he curated her collection of snowdrops. She also collected crocus and she collected hellebores, amongst other things. In actual fact, I think she was a plantaholic. You know, if there's one plant that she liked anywhere and she thought it worth collecting, she would have it. Um, much like us all, I suppose. <laughs> um, but the Primrose Warburg, she was famous for her snowdrop lunches. She lived in Oxfordshire and at a, a house called South Hayes. Now, any Galanthophiles listening to this, they will know that there's a there's a snowdrop called South Haze. Um, but I think Primrose was one of the first yellow snowdrops. And the little bump at the back of the at the back of the bloom, um, which is this little bit here, the top, the green top there, on Primrose Walker at it was bright yellow. And there were yellow markings on the inside. And I think it's probably one of the first um yellow snowdrops. And of course, yellow snowdrops have become yeah. Um, exceedingly popular. In fact, there's uh, our dear friend Joe Sharman. He's introduced one last year. You know, Golden the Golden
0: Trees and then Golden Tears. I mean, yeah. two now that have, keep breaking the record on uh, how much yes, you,
1: can, you do. pay
0: for a snowdrop.
1: <laughs> huge sums of money. Um, and I say huge, I mean huge. But it has that kind of kick out mm. of petal, like trim. If you know what trim like, looks like, with a little dab of green on it. Well, this is kick out petal with a little dab of yellow on it. I'm lucky enough to actually have that growing in the garden here, um, which somebody very kindly gifted me. Um, and I think I had five flowers last year. Something to look forward to, you see, isn't it? I know exactly where it is. I keep me keeping my eyes peeled to see how many I get this year. Because <laughs> I was always sceptical about um, growing named varieties of snowdrops. Um, because I, I I sort of had this kind of attitude that well snowdrops are just a snow they're just a drift of white that you see in a n- lovely natural woodland and but thanks to our Victorian forebears of course they are in lots of big gardens but this garden didn't have anything like that so we had to start with our own and we had we'd started with ordinary um, single and double snowdrops which I mean people get snobby about double snowdrops they think oh they're gross all those <laughs> petals packed in there oh it's ugly. <laughs> take it away <laughs> <laughs> and that's the nice of fact I mean they, they're all charming the one thing about double snowdrops is they they stay open on a cold day because they're so packed with petals they can't do anything else you know it's like a crinoline skirt you know it, it's out there and you can't pack it down um they are the, like you know,
0: crinoline skirts they're
1: yeah. brilliant <laughs> um, all those petticoats the, the the single ones they tend to sort of... Mm, look a little bit miserable, perhaps, on a very, very cold day. Um, and in actual fact, if it gets very cold, they can actually completely lay flat. But they will come up again when the temperature rises, so do they.
0: Well, much um, like arums, which can be yes, completely ignored by the cold yeah. weather. And then, beep.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, actually, that's one of the things that people perhaps... I don't know. I think it's, I mean, the, you know, there is this group of people that put their garden to bed for the winter and they don't venture out. They probably look at it through the window like, like I'm doing here and they say, oh, look at those evergreens. Aren't they lovely? <laughs> but, but they miss so much by not being in the garden. I mean, it, it's so good for you. It's good for your health, your mental health, your physical health. It's good for everything. Um, and, you know, you miss so much. You miss seeing creatures. You miss hearing the bird song, And there is bird song, believe it or mm, not. They, yeah. You know. Um, and you miss seeing the birds looking at their very, very best because they've got masses of this puffy plumage to keep them warm. And if you notice when birds roost, they kind of sort of fluff the feathers out a little bit to trap the heat in their body. I wish I had a coat like that, you know. Wouldn't <laughs> it be She's lovely?
0: It as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, what else have we got to add colour? Well, I'll tell you what. I was wandering through the vegetable garden and I couldn't resist picking oh. these. And this, I mean, these are. Chard, and I mean you know regardless of whether you eat it or not I mean isn't that worth growing just for the colour alone look at those yeah. lovely colours the rubies the gold there's green as well I didn't pick green because I thought it'd be slightly boring but just look <laughs> at the translucent of those stems and I mean they're just lovely to pick and put put in the vase on the table on their own and then and you the can...
0: glossy leaf as well I mean the glossy leaf catching the light Absolutely. yeah look at that look yeah at that.
1: How oh, cheerful and light reflecting they are! And if you get hungry, just pull a piece up and have a nibble. Hey!
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been um, having a merry time popping up to the allotment and picking, uh, you know, coriander and petrol spinach and chard and things. And I know that you'd not like this, but popping it in a stir fry. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, yeah, and I don't
1: I don't, don't do stir fries. I don't know why. Just they don't appeal to me at all. Um, <laughs> <I'm> not... <laughs> I tell you what was very interesting yesterday. There was a uh, something in the newspaper about foods that are coming back into fashion, and believe it or not, spuds are becoming fashionable again to, to eat. I mean, whatever form you whether a jacket potato, a baked potato, a roast potato, chips, mash, um, they're all becoming. And I think it's 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 based on the fact that they're relatively inexpensive, and in times of our times when which we've got at the moment, um, you know, it, it's one of those vegetables that work very well, and sausages are coming back.
0: Whether
1: oh. they're vegetarian or whether they're you know, meat-based, but I mean, sausages are very, very easy. And I tend to sort of do fiddle about and doing things with sausages with, well, for instance, I'll give you a little tip. A well, no, little tip is just something we do. Um, but I take the sausages out of the skin, the sausage meat out of the skin, and I make little patties out of them, like little round cakes, and, and then I just flour them, and I fry them on each side, just to give them a little bit of color. Uh, take them out and then i make a flan base out of puff pastry and then i line this flan base with with some very finely chopped leeks um i usually use some kind of chutney and I, it's very nice with a rhubarb chutney and you spread this all over the thing as well and you tuck your, your little bits of um, uh, patties of sausage meat back in and you can cover it with whatever you want i mean this is infinitely variable recipe you you know give it some seasoning cover it with, uh, um, uh, if you want, put a, sort of some kind of bechamel sauce on it or something like that. You can, and you bake it in the oven 15, 20 minutes. It's delicious. And if you're, if you're not too greedy, you'll have a piece left for lunch the next day.
0: <laughs> Unlikely, with me around. Um, <clears throat> something my partner would be a big fan of. But he he, he will be delighted to hear sausages and potatoes are becoming fashionable because they are two of his favourite foodstuffs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I was looking at the bedroom window the other day and I saw this haze of pink. And the haze of pink comes from this, oh. this really lovely sorbus, sorbus vilmarinii. And it look at those lovely pink, porcelain pink and white berries. They're absolutely lovely.
0: That looks um, like something straight from a Christmas card, like a, a very nice. tasteful, yes. subtle Christmas card that's not covered in glitter. I mean, I, I do like my fair share of, of eco-glitter, uh, but that is absolutely beautiful each very blushing
1: um unfortunately the birds have started to go for it now so um (laughs) you know they will but you know growing plants like that in your garden you really are helping wildlife and the wildlife hasn't got to this yet which i think is rose and i think it is rose whitmore but we're not absolutely sure but it has this lovely flagon shaped bright orange hips and you can see them there they pick beautifully and i mean you know you don't need flowers you don't need to go out and buy expensive flowers at christmas time you buy a few pick a few sprigs from from, some um evergreen bushes that you might have in your garden and thread these these throughout and they look absolutely lovely um so
0: many if you're listening to the audio version of this loads of quite small but lovely orangey red hips a big cluster of them you know like 30 40 all together
1: That's one head, you see, and that's a mass of little single white-flowered roses. Um, uh, Lovely in their season, which is probably July into August, and then it produces these lovely hips, so you get two two bites of the cherry, or hip if you like. Um, (laughs) But you know you can see, you uh, don't waste these and throw them away though. Look, leave them outside because the birds will come and take them. I made a a holly holly wreath for my front door a couple of years ago, and I thought I'd be very smart and very clever. And I bought um it's uh, Ilex verticillata, which is a deciduous holly. So all you get is the red berries on the stems, and it's packed with them. They come from I think they probably came from America. Um, and Ilex bilata, verticillata grows in a kind of brackish water, very boggy sort of places. Um and so I can't grow out here because I'm too dry. But anyway, I made this wreath and I went out the door one day and I shut the door behind me and looked at my wreath admiringly as you do. And I looked at it and I thought Those berries are going from the top. And the birds were darting at the top and they went all the way down. <laughs> so by Christmas day the nay there was near a berry to be seen. It was completely um denuded. But I'd done my bit for the wildlife so Talking about hollies.
0: Here we segue.
1: Segue. In, indeed. Well, you don't get older do without getting up for. <laughs> <laughs> this. This is a lovely little holly. It's. I don't know whether you can appreciate. Well, you can if I get the other one, because you know there's a great deal of difference in hollies. Look at that. Wow. <laughs> Between yes. those two, and I mean even in the hue of the berries. Can we get a bit more light on that?
0: Well, you we can see one much brighter red, one more yes. of a sort yeah. of rubyish, ish
1: yeah.
0: clarity, merlot colour.
1: Well, this is a good, trust you to say that. <laughs> 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 That's just a few of my favourite things. <laughs> 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 this is a holly called Nellie Stevens, and I'm training two of these. I've got them on my front doorstep at the moment, but they don't look terribly clever. But I'm training them up into standard columns. Um, so, they're just going to be very narrow columns. And I thought that, you know, with these small berries and the small stature of, of the, the leaves and everything else, it will be quite dense. And in future years, hopefully, they will look even more spectacular than they do today. But Nellie Stevens is a very good burying holly, but do bear in mind you have to have a male to go with the female. The female produces the berries, obviously, but you need a male nearby if you're going to get cross pollination. Um, in my garden, I've got lots of males. Well, I would have one. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and you know, lots of self seeding hollies. This is not a self seeded holly, this is um, a, a variety called Ilex castanifolia. Um, and it's chestnut, it's called the chestnut leaf holly because this leaf here resembles the leaves you get on a sweet chestnut, not a horse chestnut, a sweet chestnut. And this originally came to the garden from um, oh, this is going to sound terribly posh, but I was we were at Raveningham Hall one day when. The late Lady Bacon, Dowager Lady Bacon, was still alive and um, her name was Priscilla. And Priscilla and I knew each other for, we'd known each other for years. I used to help her in the garden sometimes many, many years ago. And uh, we saw this holly and Graham said, Well, what's that? And she said, Well, it's holly. He said, It's interesting because it's it's castanifolia. Um, And because it's got these leaves like a horse, uh, sweet chestnut, I mean. And she said, Take some bits. And Graham said, Well, is it the right time? And she said, young man, it's the right time if you're offered it. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that's, I mean, Christopher Lloyd always said, you know, "Yeah, I don't worry about doing jobs whether it's the right time or not. You know, I do it when I see it because at least it gets done. Otherwise it probably will be missed. Um, And so, you know, you make your best of it. And Holly's, come quite easily they're very slow but they come easily from cuttings especially in the winter so if you want to increase your holly i mean take a take a cutting um and do it do a, what they call a hardwood cutting i'm not going to tell you how to do that now we haven't got time but you <laughs> you can look it up on the internet there's lots of um very helpful um youtube things to show you how to do it but i think that's absolutely stunning that's castanifolia and the berries on that are absolutely it makes quite a big plant it grows probably 20, 25 feet tall, so it makes quite a big plant. But you know, so, it it it's deserves a to be a there.
0: Spike of berries as well. Oh yeah, you know, this relevant. cluster of berries is is so present and beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is absolutely amazing. I think that's that's splendid, and I think that yes, that's all for my box of tricks. Actually, <laughs> I hope, I haven't exhausted everything. But don't forget Nellie Stevens. Um, I don't know how common Nellie Stevens is, but I mean, I've seen it around quite a lot. So that's a very nice one to get if, you've, if you're if you short of space because you can clip it um, and keep it nice and tidy.
0: And her leaves are so shiny, her berries so bright and red, she almost doesn't look real on the screen.
1: She no, almost looks like a
0: decoration.
1: Yes, yes. But Wonderful. It's no good having a holly with three berries on the stalk. You've got to have a holly. <laughs> Gonna have a sprig with, you know, laden with berries, and, and of other- course you
0: have a um, you have a yellow buried holly at East Ruston, don't you? I mean, yeah. obviously you have a
1: yellow buried one, but you have your own yellow berryed one. Yeah, well, the, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. that was it was um, we had the holly expert called Susan Andrews, S U S Y N, Susan Andrews here, and she was staying with um, the late Peter Boardman, who had a um, a lovely holly collection over at Ludham, about five miles from us. And um, he said, would you mind if Susan came and looked at the garden? I said, no, not at all. Of course, come around. And this is the, the kind of thing that happens in the gardening world. You know, if, you, if, if they're going to somewhere they, and you've got an interesting garden, someone will ring up and suddenly say, well, can I come and have a look? As Cleve West did one Sunday morning. Um, and, you know, of course, well, I'd be honoured to have people like that in the garden. Anyway, Susan saw this yellow-berried holly and she said, where did that come from? I said, it was a seedling that we found in the garden here. And she said, well, we must name it. What should we call it? Um, and I said, Well, if you think it's worthy, of course it's worthy. Look at this. This this all the plus points about it. And so she called it East Rust and Gold. So we have a, a Holly named after the garden, which I think is rather lovely. Because I have a snowdrop named after me now, as you know, because you presented yes. it.
0: Yes, the immortal Alan Gray.
1: <laughs> Oh dear, yeah, but no. So you they're, might
0: be excited to see. I mean, Alan, Alan Gray, the Snowdrop, will be. Uh, I'm assuming you know, making its its
1: floriferous appearance at some point. Yes, it will be flowering in um, probably about uh, from somewhere in the middle of February, uh, early to mid February. It should be doing its stuff. We I bought well, this is dreadful, isn't it? But this is what happens to you. I mean, Val <laughs> Bogle will. We'll, she, she will attest to this, I think, because this is what happens to you. Once a galanthophile gets hold of you, you know, this instills in you, that's a different one, that's a different one, that's a different one. I tend to go for the bigger growing snowdrops. I do like them if they're taller and they've got more presence. Um, whilst, I mean, dare I say it, the ladies often go for the tinier ones. Um, and I mean, the late Anne Borrell, she um, had a most wonderful collection of snowdrops and I was able to give her a variety called Green Tear which was all the rage a few years ago. She, alas, she's no longer with us. But she had a, a snowdrop named after her. And I said, she, she said, have you seen this one? I said, it's called Penelope Ann. She said, it's called Penelope Ann. I said, well, who's she? She said, that's me. She said, well, I didn't know your name was Penelope. So thereafter, I called her Pennylope. <laughs> she used to get cross, but she, never mind. But she had a wonderful collection of lovely miniatures um miniature narcissi and things like that and i said you know and it's wonderful but you know how did you get this collection together and she said it's not what you know is it and by that she meant that she mixed in the circles of those sort of people that probably they grow they grew plants that were not in general cultivation for various reasons but mainly because they don't bulk up quickly enough and they are you know they're fiddly to do and they're awkward and they're di- they're grown by enthusiasts who will then pass them on to another enthusiast who in turn will, and so on and so forth um, and that is how you acquire some of the most interesting plants that you, that you'll get and and of course you know if you go to plant fairs and snowdrop days and, and things like that, you will always find something interesting. Okay, there'll be the big boys like Joe Sharman there with every kind of snowdrop you can think of, plus a few other lovely things because he has a, a box, a dressing-up box full of treasures to bring. Yeah. But you will also find hobby growers there who probably, um, they, you know, they they want to earn a few pennies to go towards the cost of the garden or buying even yet more snowdrops or so whatever. Um but you know, this, from these people, these little enthusiasts, don't forget Brian Ellis in, in this, because Brian Ellis is an enthusiast about not just snowdrops, I will have yeah. you know,
0: Everything, not, really.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, well, the thing about Brian is, Brian and, and David, they don't have a huge garden, but what they do have, they have a jewel box. Um, and it, it, it's absolutely packed with all sorts of unusual plants that he's got from his contacts. And these are people that he thank you very much, Sally. That's very kind. Sally's just brought <laughs> coffee. <laughs> you'll have to you'll have to meet Sally one day. She's very nervous. She won't want to come and sit and you know, put a on the screen, but we'll see what we can do. I'll, I'll, t- I'll take a quick photograph, which is not looking.
0: <laughs> the, the plant, um, the plant community. I mean, Brian, Brian Ellis is is one of the most generous plants people I know. Uh, Dean Croucher in Somerset as well, wonderful yeah. garden to follow on Instagram. And um, we had this joke that Fiola was due on Dean's birthday, and he said, "Well, if you manage to have your baby on my birthday, I'll send you a special snowdrop." And uh, blow me down. Not only did Fiola turn up on his due date, so on Dean's birthday, um, but he also sent me not just one but several special snowdrops, which I live in fear won't show up because I've had so little time to look after my garden. Uh, can I just year,
1: so. can I just interject there <laughs> and say and say one thing? That is just what they like. They don't want to be fiddled with. They want to be neglected, um, because you know if you think about it. Snowdrops do their growing and their flowering at, at a very, at the very time when other plants are not. And, you know, if you can if you can actually grow bulbs like snowdrops or scillas or crocus um, and all of those things that naturally grow in woodland bluebells, you know, they, they get their growing done just as the leaves are coming out on the trees. Um, so they, they have all the light and they push their leaves up and they're able to do the photosynthesis and everything else and build up their bulbs and make their seeds and everything. And then suddenly the canopy gets dark and they go into what they absolutely love, which is this period of, um. well, how should I say, it's not dryness. It's it's this kind of moist, even temperature. They don't like these huge heats and huge, huge mm. cold, you know, they, they tolerate cold, of course. Um, But, you know, this lovely even temperature and, they go to bed for the summer. I wouldn't want to do that, but I wouldn't mind going to bed for <laughs> the winter, I tell you.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't mind just having some sleep, to be honest. But that's, a, that's another story um, <laughs> for another day. It, the natural world does blow my mind. I think that just that the... the the equilibrium the balance the cycle all of that you know how amazing it is that all of these plants are waiting for the leaves to disappear so they can have their moment and they go away again and a whole yeah. new chapter uh, mm. of the gardening year continues on it's
1: um it's it's wonderful so inspiring well i mentioned you saw um erin promote they and not not quite hardy but it makes such a wonderful plant there's a lady who lives in in uh, Sutton just a few miles down the road um, she used to be um, a wonderful exhibitor of alpine plants and she grew that Primrose Warburg Arum in a pot in a cold greenhouse because it doesn't like huge amounts of cold. Um, in actual fact Lionel who gave it to me said he planted in his garden and lost it twice. Um, I'm determined when my plant gets bigger to prove him wrong but we shall see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there's there's that arum, it produces its leaves in the winter. So it starts coming into growth probably in August, September. You'll see the new leaves coming through. And there's a huge range of, of arum um, that well Joe Sharman grows a lovely selection with muffled leaves, patterned leaves, variegated yellow leaves, splish splashed, or even, you know, there's such wonderful things. And I bought from him over the years, quite a few. And I love them in the winter for their foliage. Incidentally, Gertrude Jekyll grew them in her garden. I don't know that she had terribly sophisticated kinds, but she used to yank the whole bunch of leaves off the top of the Cormor bulb, plonk it into a vase, and she poked daffodils between it. And that was what she, she used to, excuse me, her greenery. Uh, so that was wonderful. Um, but these plants, I mean, for me, they are very neglected because they're there in the wintertime. Now, lots of people say that, oh, they run all over the place. They don't really run. They they seed all over the place. And they can be a nuisance. But, I mean, if you garden, you edit where necessary. And if you garden like me, you probably leave the seedlings for two years. So then you get the true colour of the leaves, and you'll see that they are either good or not. If they're not good, you just yank them out or put fork on and they can get rid of them. Um, but... If they're good, you keep them. And and now we've got some wonderful, <coughs> very beautifully marked leaves coming up at the bottom of hedges where the birds have taken the berries to the top and they've eaten the hedges and eaten the berries and the he- through the hedge comes the seed, if you see what I mean. <laughs> and um, they germinate. And, you know, hedge bottoms are very interesting places because an awful lot of seedlings will develop in hedge bottoms. And if you're looking for some self-sown seedlings of something like you, not you. why you <laughs> Yew trees? Um honeysuckle is another one that frequently gets um, seen at the bottom of hedges and trachycarpus fortunii, the chosen palm, because we grow that here in the garden and you need male and female again to get berries. Um, and the berries, they're huge panicles of this, of olive green berries, fantastic sight. We sometimes saw one off and put it in the middle of a table just as decoration on its own for Christmas. It's lovely. Um, but birds take the fruit when they're ripe, and they sit on tops of the hedges. As I just said, and they drop the seed, and you get all these palm trees growing in your in your hedge bottom. So you know, if you're when you're gardening, just have a look in the hedge bottoms and see what there is. We've got a an abutilon, which is really then. Well, I say they're not hardy, but this abutilon. It's on a south-facing wall, but it's been there for the past. Well, we, we built the garden in 28, 9, 10, 11. Opened it in 2012. And I think it was from the original planting in 2012. It's 11 years. And it's been there for 11 years. It's a, it's a red bell-shaped large flower, debutylone. It's been knocked back from the top. You know, it gets frosted a little bit. You trim it up and then off it goes again. But this year, it actually has two self-sown seedlings beneath it. Now, they're probably likely to be exactly the same as the mother. because, But then... Of course, it must have been able to be pollinated by something else. Or was it? Or was it self-pollination? Who knows? <laughs> It'd be interesting to see. I I must dig up those seedlings and grow them on, because next year I shall know if they flower, which they should do. I shall know whether they're going to um, be hardy or not. Yeah. What colour they're going to be, which is more important. There's a, a new race of Abutilans, um, and they're a cross between large flowered hybrids and the small flower Megapotanicum. And Megapotanicum is the one with the little heart-shaped flowers and the lovely sort of dark red calyx on the top. And um, these are charming because they're much smaller flower than the large flower. But the big plus point about them is that they are much hardier. And there's a lovely lemon one called Ellen's Little Bird, which oh. i got. <laughs> And um and then there's garden garda man's red, which is more of an orangey red, small cloud one. There's a pink one called something party or princess or something. I'm not sure. Pink princess or pink something. I got that as well. And I took lots of cuttings of these last winter and uh, last autumn, and and they're in the propagating house at the moment, and they're growing along quite strongly. So I'm looking forward to seeing them. Um, but I'm also testing them in the garden to see how hardy they are, because they do have this increased hardiness. And I've got Gardamans red in a pot, a big pot in my back courtyard outside the kitchen door. And that at the moment has been completely unaffected by the frost. And by next door to it, I had a fuchsia called fuchsia boliviana, which is the very long, slender, dark red flowers, very glamorous and that is a, a lovely thing. But immediately the frost gets into the soft tips of the foliage, it curls up and then, you know, the, the dead yeah. all. But the thing is, you know, fuchsia Boliviana will quite often come back from below ground level, but don't bother with it because it comes back, but it doesn't start flowering then until September or even October. And you're just a few weeks away from Dame Nature doing her damnedest to put the stuff. <laughs> dampers <laughs> on the summer garden and so you know unless you can bring your plants through the winter it, it's probably not worth growing outside but the abutilons I think probably will be and you know it's all about this sort of increasing the amount of interest that we have in our gardens throughout the year and I think that the the smaller flowered abutilons on quite small plants well I say small but a meter a meter and a half tall they're still quite big but you know for the smaller garden for a shrub border or a border they are absolutely stonking I think
0: yeah I'm getting so much inspiration uh we should squeeze in some flomo before we have to bid farewell to this uh podcast for 2023 we will of course return in 2024 um but flomo that fear of missing out you get about a flower or plant my I've got garden got the idea
1: thing for that
0: <laughs> <laughs> my, my uh my garden is definitely lacking in a lot of evergreens mostly because I get obsessed with you know I want that I want that I want that and then you put all yes. the plants in yes. and that's all I... I really should have thought this through. So I, I mean, I have some nice autumn color, and I do have a bit of evergreen. Just looking out there, I'm always amazed by how chili and glory vines survive yeah. frosts and things. They, they've just done so well, and I little seedlings turn up all the time. I, every year, I mean to get the Tresco mix so that I have different colors than just the red one, which I've all, you know I've had since I first moved in and introduced it. I I would love to have. A variety of oranges and creams and things so yeah. one day I, w- I will next garden maybe I will do that um but I I those your hollies I think your castanifolia your your one with the what was it called Nellie Stevens Nellie Stevens also what a great name <laughs> Nellie Stevens um I do wish we'd called Lily the dog Nellie that's such a great name
1: <laughs> next dog um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah, they they both really, really inspiring. My original FLOMO before we started talking about all these things was was nothing so serious, but it did seem apt for a celebratory time of year. And also with all of the, you know, bulb catalogues and bulb sales, you know, landing in your email inbox or whatever. Um, I keep seeing and have done for a couple of years now, the Alley and Party Balloons. And I don't I've never seen party balloons in real life. I do like the stupid name. Um and I do like the fact that it's supposed to be multi-flowered. Um, so whether or not I will ever succumb and buy it, I've been trying to just not give myself extra gardening jobs because I just don't have time at the moment. But I, every time I see it, I think, well, have I got the space for it? I have to be careful how I plant them because I cannot stand with allium foliage that's gone over and is looking nasty. So it has Still to be planted. Done. (laughs) It has to be planted carefully. And it was either you or Eastern Wall Gardens who said to plant it amidst my uh, stachys, byzantinus, my lambs ear, which was genius, because that's what I've done with nectroscordums, alliums, and you just don't get irritated by the foliage then. But I haven't obviously got a lot of garden to do that with. So I haven't got it. Every time I see it, I think, shall I get it? Have you got party balloons?
1: No. (laughs) No, I'm going to get it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it sounds like it could be, you know, they're, they're relatively expensive bowls. It just sounds like it could be faddy and not very good. I do I do love my standard Christoffee eyes and my Schiberti eyes and my purple sensations. But whether or not I branch out one of these days and get party balloons and see if it's up to the hype, I don't know.
1: Well, we've got several different new ones this year um but i know what you mean it it, it uh, but nerine's uh, not nerine sorry uh, alliums they have this habit of just as their flowers are coming last scapes are coming out the foliage starts to wither and that is the one drawback and the one thing that christopher lloyd always says you know they they're great for planting in amongst emerging perennials so if you've got lupins or delphiniums yeah. that cover up that horrible foliage and also planting at the front of a border because if you've got Plants like um, like viola viola cornuta or something like that, or indeed your lambs lambs lugs, you know, they, yeah. they just helps to disguise it. And it is it is a nuisance. I do agree with you. That's one of the, that is the one drawback. And I was just thinking when you said about evergreens, if you've got anywhere on your allotment where you've got a particular area that's very windy, I mean, if the wind comes from, I mean, predominantly from the southwest, I suppose probably or westerly, southwestly, but wherever you've got a little bit, I mean, you just put a few evergreens in there. Yeah, um, so that could mean you you have instant picking material for little winter poses if you like. That
0: is a genius idea. I mean, I've always I planned to and haven't got round to just lining out hardwood cuttings and things
1: at the allotment, yeah.
0: but that I I need to need to get on with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you could even start your evergreens off with hardwood cuttings. Yeah, <laughs> cuttings in the winter. And put them too close together because you know some won't take and some will perhaps. Um, my flo mo is good old fashioned garden phlox now you may think that you know the herbaceous garden phlox uh, phlox paniculata and their and varieties of that you might think that that's a common old thing but we've noticed in the garden here um and visitors have noticed that you somehow it's suddenly not available anywhere not in great quantities anyway and i've sourced two varieties that i think are particularly nice um but they're not for small gardens i have to say but there are a numerous Numerous varieties of blocks available from a well-known bulb supplier called Farmer Gracie,
0: yeah. and
1: if you look. Farmer Gracie's catalogue for summer flowering bulbs was launched online two days ago, and my fear of missing out on these blocks was <laughs> such that I banged an order <laughs> in straight away. And what I did was, I mean, you you know, they're they're not and they're not hugely expensive. I mean, they, I mean, I think probably for a the very Uh, the rare flocks which is a hercules and goliath purple and a pink and i mean hercules are probably the tallest one or it might be goliath i'm not sure but i mean one's purple and one's pink and it is five or six feet tall it is that big well grown of course and huge heads pink blossom on like a like a big blousy hydrangea, I suppose, in a way, but herbaceous. Um, and I just sort of had to have some of these. Um, <clears throat> so if Eric sees this podcast, um, he will know who he, he is. Uh, Eric <laughs> always talking about phlox and uh, nephophias, which he calls phophias. <laughs> no, nophias, nofias.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Um and, and the two plants that he likes, and he's always t- taking note of the phlox that are growing in the garden and dropping rather large hints that I should dig them up and divide them so that he can buy them from me. <laughs> but, but, you know, sometimes you don't get around to doing that. But I've got these new ones coming, so we're going to line them out in the stock borders and grow them on for a couple of years just to assess them and see how they do. Um, and then we will, you know, branch out into... Did I mention that we've got a new trial? I mean, coming to the oh, garden? Oh, your um, your uh, ginger trial. Yeah, hedychiums, hedychiums, hedychiums. I think we've got... Um well, Karen, who runs it with the RHS, she got in touch the other day um and she said that um she hopes we'll have between 90 and a hundred varieties. It depends on what's available and what people have got. but the national collection holder who lives down on the south coast has got is helping a great deal, and I don't know whether they'll get where they're going to get the rest from, but they, you know we will have them here. and we've got local people on the judging, panel as well we've got jane-ann walton who we know um <clears throat> richard who was on the podcast a few weeks ago <laughs> excuse me um Plans. Plans. yeah he's going to be on it um richard van Egmond is going to be on it he's got a wholesale nursery and great friend from lincolnshire um and ian roof i have persuaded ian roof that he should do it as well because um you know these are all plants people you don't need a qualification but if you if you've got sufficient knowledge of plants you can you can actually give your opinion and it really is just an opinion as to you know which we think is best and they they will be judged on a monthly basis you know we have a meeting here everybody arrives and gathers for coffee and then we have they go go off and do their thing well yes this is a very good one you know (laughs) ticking boxes and all that and then we compare notes at the end over lunch so it's a very civilized thing but it, it will come so that when the RHS does these trials, it does them with the aim of finding the best varieties. And when the best varieties are announced, they're probably given the AGM, the Award of Garden Merit. And if you see a plant that's got the Award of Garden Merit, you will know that it has been trialed by the RHS and has deservedly won that award for good points. So AGM generally means a good plant. (laughs) (laughs) There we are, a good weed. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and it'll be very exciting for those of us who are keen to uh, to grow more Hidiciums to to get some more sort of info about which ones are, are best. So yeah, well, very. Thing,
1: the other thing that they are very interested in is the the hardiness of the of yeah. um, and so that's going to be one of the big criteria as well.
0: Yeah. Um, A couple of things. One of them is uh, you're talking about Farmer Gracie. They're probably sold out by now, but I did see they'd reduced their Muscari Camosum in their sort of sale of bulbs. And if anyone hasn't grown them, um, we they came up as a flomo. I think, possibly when we were talking to jane Ann Walton ages ago on this podcast. You very kindly sent me some, and I grew them in a couple of different places in my front garden, in a container at the foot of a fig, and uh, over uh, in the kind of general planting. It makes it sound like, I have such a big area. <laughs> it's like a little postage stamp. Um, but they, they almost sort of rested for a year, but since then, they have been such good doers, and they're fabulous. They're muscari. Great pyacinth, but with these sort of almost like a candelabra on top. They're wonderful. They're they, they're the kind of plant, they're the kind of flower that looks like it should have googly eyes on it or something. They're such good characters. <laughs> so if you do get the chance to, to grow them, I heartily recommend them. I think they're fantastic. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to say is a certain something arrived in the post with a <laughs> do not Do not open until Christmas. Does it on, say that?
1: It does. It says do not oh, open Sir until David Wheeler. David Wheeler must have put that on because I said I was going to buy that for you for Christmas. A Christmas subscription to Hortus Magazine, yeah. So thank you. We I talked you, about you. I bet you'll open it before Christmas.
0: Trying so hard not to. We put it under the <laughs> I'll imagine i have managed to wait if i get a quiet period before christmas i'm going to seize my opportunity to read while i can but yeah if you didn't catch our talking dirty episode with david wheeler editor of hortus it did come up that um i currently don't have a subscription because of the baby uh so uh i i hinted that perhaps well i say hinted i basically flat out asked if i could perhaps have one for christmas so thank you very much <laughs>
1: Well, I'm so, glad it's arrived and you've got something to look forward to.
0: I really have. Many, many things to look forward to. Not least, uh, regrouping in 2024 for uh, an update on how it's all been going at East Ruston. Fingers crossed, no more brutal frosts, but we'll have to see what's, uh, what's around the corner. Until next year. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much to everybody for all of the support you've given us, all your wonderful comments. We very rarely get the chance to ever reply to anything, but we read and treasure every single one. So thank you for your support. Thank you for all our wonderful guests. And Alan, thank you very much for being such a hoot and for sharing such wonderful knowledge and an array of flow-motastic plants over the last year.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, you know, when you get so much pleasure out of you know being in your garden gardening doing it i get more pleasure out of doing it than i do sitting in it i have to say <laughs> but, but you know that it's it's just lovely to do so no thank you too it's and and thank you to everybody that's listening and 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 supporting us because you know it's nice to know that you're there um and um, anybody that has any ideas if they'd like us to talk about something do give us um give, get in touch and give us a few ideas because you know we we do what we think but there might be something that somebody wants to talk about that could suddenly take off and be a real, well, showstopper. <laughs> uh,
0: th- there have been many podcasts which have been suggested guests, uh, etc. So we're always very, uh, very grateful for your input, and I can't wait to see what 2024 has in store. So until then, I suppose happy gardening and
1: happy Christmas, everybody. Nice to see Merry you. Christmas. <laughs> hey,
0: Thordee's here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty, you are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week and as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.